Welcome to Layers of Film, the show where mediocre people discuss masterful films the first Monday of each month. <laughs> Stop it with your eyebrows. I am your host, Austin Kelly, joined by my co-host, Big T. Big T, I have a question for you. Yeah, what's up? Is the Pixar magic gone? Sure. Or did you ever think that there was a Pixar magic? Mm, which one's Pixar again? Oh, uh, like Toy Story, One, Two, Three, Finding Nemo, Bugs Life, Incredibles. Oh yeah, there's some good ones in there. Did they just come out with that new Elemental? Is that out or is that coming out? Well, the the, the trailer the trailer for it. Okay, I haven't even seen the trailer. Does it look interesting? I have no idea. It's like literally just a shot of the city and then her like oh. walking on a subway. <sighs> Lame. I don't know, man. I guess you don't have much to say about it. I was just thinking about it the other day that I always thought that Pixar was so unique and interesting and the way that they told stories was so cool and just something that you never really saw before. And now... It just, I don't know, it just seems like they're just trying to churn stuff out. And I'm not i am not into it anymore. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I'm not good at remembering which one's <clears throat> Pixar and which one's Disney. Because DreamWorks is Disney, right? Anything that's princess related is Disney. <laughs> and then anything that's not princess related is Pixar. Basically, that's a general rule. But are they both owned by Disney? Yeah. Disney, Pixar, and then Disney proper. So like Frozen, oh... Tangled, that's Disney proper. And then anything that's like about a toy is Pixar. Was Turning Red Disney or Pixar? That's Pixar. That was good. That was a good one. You like yeah, that one? That was cute. It was a little weird, but... We didn't let our kids watch that one for a little while because the main... I, I, I still haven't watched it all the way through, but like the main... I don't even know what her name is, but like the, the, the main girl or whatever, the main character in the, the show was just kind of rude all the time to the parents and just, and obviously understandably so, cause she's like going through a period and like that's the whole metaphor or whatever, but like, <laughs> right. I'm pretty sure that's what it's about. I still don't really know, but Callie doesn't know. My oldest has no idea what's going on. And so she just thinks that that's how you behave. Like you're moody and just, <laughs> that's, that's funny. That. I'm not sure that's the central theme to that show, that movie, but turning red, I don't know. It's been too long. <laughs> I don't know. I thought that was the whole thing. It was like go through your like go through changes and your period and all that stuff. That's not it. That's not what that's about. I thought that's what that was about. Cause she would try to keep her emotions in check, otherwise she would turn into the panda or whatever it was. I <laughs> what's so funny? Maybe it is. I Maybe it is. It I don't was. know. I thought it was more about like intergenerational. <laughs> Not trauma, but intergenerational relationships and the weight of having to have cultural expectations. There's that too. From I'm one sure. country put onto your shoulders, <laughs> but know. maybe I totally overread the. That's, the that's probably part movie. of it. Maybe it's just about periods. It's not just about like I think that's the the metaphor of like her turning red. Though I'm pretty sure I don't know. I could totally be. Totally be wrong. I remember. I just remember. We'll watch when that, it next. We'll watch it for next month's episode, and we'll talk about it. Sure. I don't care. Well, I'll. I'll I'm choosing. I'm not choosing that one. You can choose it next year. But um, I I could have sworn that when that movie came out, I went onto Twitter and as I always do every day, just surfing around and seeing if there's any good gaming news. And someone posted something about like oh i really like this movie because it really captured like the way that i felt when i was going through my changes and all that stuff i'm like oh okay i guess that's what the movie's about <laughs> so I, without having no seen idea. the film that's that's how i base that whole idea off. yeah that's i love it i have no idea but that's great speaking of twitter have you been enjoying the downfall of twitter over the past few weeks i 
I keep seeing people say that there's the downfall of Twitter, but things are still going on Twitter. I think it's like the downfall of the company. It sounds like the company's on fire. Maybe. In a bad way. <laughs> I mean, like, people are getting laid off, right? And Jumping ships, sleeping in their offices, getting fired. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't sound fun. But it's made for a good drama on Twitter, at least. Has it? Are you having a good time over there? <laughs> what is it? The the emperor who played the fiddle as Rome burned or whatever? I don't know. I have no idea what you're saying right now. <laughs> <laughs> neither, neither do I. It's okay. okay. <laughs> good stuff. Also, I think I see a puppy behind you. Is that, yeah. is that a puppy I saw? Everyone, Everyone's gone except for me, so I'm, I'm on puppy duty. So he's not just Where's locked up all day. I don't know. He's probably peeing somewhere on the floor. I don't know. <laughs> what the? Oh, he's he's underneath the chair. That's where he's at. Ugh, yeah. That's cute. He just finds random places to fall asleep while I'm gaming or whatever. Living the life. Yeah, yeah. He's having a... I don't know. Sometimes I wonder if he's just like, oh, man, I'm so chill. This is awesome. This is great. Other times I'm thinking he's probably just horribly depressed. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe both. Maybe. Because... I can hear all sorts of stuff when I'm playing video games through my headphones and whatever, but he's just living in silence. <laughs> you got to turn on some music for him, some puppy Mozart or something. <laughs> I could. Not right now. We're recording a podcast, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Puppy. That's all fine. right. I'll just get him his own little set of headphones. There you go. Little puppy headphones. Yeah. I guess maybe I should address or whatever. My voice might sound a little weird. I've been under the weather, crunching and stuff at work because I had switched over to Twitter, so... Huge crunch going on. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not. I don't work at Twitter. <laughs> no. Anyway, there's like Black Friday stuff or whatever for the company that I work with, and so it's been a little bit of a crunch. And I stayed up way too late trying to work on stuff. No one's making me crunch, by the way. I just want you to. know Oh yeah, that. you're just self-exploiting. I I mainly like just felt like I didn't do anything for like a whole week. Once, so I'm like, I should probably work extra, <laughs> and so I have been. And then I ended up getting myself sick. I think in the process. So that's good stuff. Ugh. So my voice is a little weird. I'm probably going to be... I'll try to edit out all the sniffles, get that snot back in that nose. And uh, here's a quick aside. Do you know how to blow your nose really well? I don't know if I would say really well. I don't know how you define really well, but I can blow my nose sufficiently. Yeah, I'm not good at it. I get snot everywhere every time I blow. I've Ew. never I've never been good at blowing my nose. It just goes all over my upper lip and You're I like have to wipe toddler. it off. Oof, don't need to know that. Thank <laughs> you though. <laughs> it's good stuff. So I pick. I usually pick. Because that works better for me. It takes longer though. You just giving all the content for free to everyone today. Oh, based off of your fake ad read last week or last month. Are you kidding me? You kidding? Hey, I had no choice in you actually putting that in there. I couldn't believe it. I need to let the audience know I was editing for like 10 hours. Like that was the longest I've ever had to edit because we discussed some things that I think we were trying to dance around each other a little bit or just make sure we didn't offend anyone or something like that. So I feel like we were constantly saying ums and just random mouth noises way more than normal and a lot more likes as well. I edit the show so I know how much is normal and it was way more than normal. And so it took a long time to edit. But after I think that was the last half hour of the show that I still needed to edit, which took another like hour and a half to do. And I was losing my mind. And then I come to the the fake ad read for last month's episode. What what even was the oh ex machina? And uh oh my gosh, I couldn't believe it. I needed to go to the bathroom. You need to go back and listen to that episode if you haven't already. But 
I had to go to the bathroom and Big T left me a nice little fake ad read for an ad break for hemorrhoid pills or whatever. $500. It was a real ad read and I made $500. I just didn't tell you about it. I didn't know. I'm surprised that that's what they wrote in the ad, (laughs) but that's good stuff or that they signed off on it. It's a super Gen Z company. They don't really care about their copy. (laughs) Nice. Anyway, good stuff. I lost it. It was hilarious. I was cracking up for like 15 minutes and then I was really upset that I had another, that I'd wasted 15 (laughs) minutes (laughs) laughing. Mobby. No, I'm just kidding. All right. Well, besides all that, is life going good for you? Life is going as good as I would expect it to, which is pretty good. Okay, that's good. I was I was half expecting you to be like, which is pretty terrible. <laughs> but you yeah, know, that's I'm okay. trying to be less doom and gloom. <laughs> yeah. Even though there's quite a bit of doom and quite a bit of gloom out there, but it's you still- know, I'm I'm doing good. You're doing good. Doing fine. Doing all right. Holidays stressful. Went to the store earlier today. We needed beef Oof. stock, which for the gravy or whatever, because we didn't have any. And uh, oh boy, was it nutso? Man, if I had a lot of disposable income, I would get everything delivered all the time. I can't handle this anymore. I can't handle the grocery store. It drives me insane every time. People, I guess I don't want to. Maybe you're one of these people or whatever. But <laughs> people just like put in their shopping carts at a diagonal <laughs> in the freaking aisle. Drives me it's the insane. wild west there, and obviously everyone's just trying to look for whatever, so they're going half the speed or a quarter of the speed that they normally would. And you're just, just like, get out of the way! Oh, you're stuck behind people constantly. Oh, it drives me insane. I can't. I don't know what's happening. I feel like people are totally lost the art of grocery shopping. <laughs> it's gone. The art of grocery the shopping. Art. See, I will. In the immortal words of a TikTok that I saw a few days ago, <laughs> that I don't remember the creator. Okay, I am a dilly dallier. If there's one oh, thing I'm going to do, it's a daily dilly dally. Yeah. So I just, daily unless I'm like wow. pressed for time, I am just the person that's wandering through the aisles. Yeah. Looking at the things, you know, I just am never really in a hurry unless I'm in a hurry and then I'm in a hurry. But usually <laughs> I just kind of wander. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I could get that way if it's late at night and it's not very busy and I'm like, oh, let's go down the, the. Nintendo Switch. Let's go down the gaming aisle and all that stuff and just browse around and see what's going on over there. Yeah. But otherwise, I got everything on lock and I know exactly where to go. That's good. I will avoid grocery stores at all costs around Thanksgiving and Christmas, though. Yeah. I I would rather go hungry than go to a grocery store with a ton of people who are frantically shopping for all of their holiday goods. That's a lot. Thank you. It's a lot. Too much to handle sometimes. Yeah. It's overwhelming. Yeah. And I like to stay whelmed. Underwhelmed if possible. Underwhelmed if possible. Yeah. <laughs> Very true. Just the right amount of whelm. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Well, I decided that I want to get a couple of things out of the way right at the beginning. A little bit of housekeeping. If you want to... Uh, housekeeping. If you want to support the show or whatever, you can rate and review it on iTunes or Spotify. All that stuff. It helps with discovery so that we can get the word out there about Layers of Film. Great show. We love it. If you want to write into the show at, no, not at, layersoffilmpod at gmail.com. You could be a part of the discussion if you do that. And of course, if you haven't seen the film, we're going to spoil the crap out of it probably immediately. A lot of times we get right into spoilers. So if you haven't watched it, go ahead and watch it. Uh, Otherwise, you're going to get everything spoiled for you. But with all that out of the way, let's get into the film introduction. Of course, we're covering Pleasantville. This month, released October 23rd, 1998. 
The synopsis is two 1990s teenage siblings find themselves in a 1950s sitcom where their influence begins to profoundly change that complacent world. Directed and written by Gary Ross, composed by Randy Newman. Big actors are Tobey Maguire, Reese Witherspoon, Jeff Daniels, Joan Allen, amongst many others. Budget of $60 million. Box office earnings was $49.8 million. They lost money on this one. You can watch it on Hulu at the time that we're recording this if you have it already. So you don't have to buy or rent it. Otherwise, you'll have to do that. Big T, you had seen this film before, correct? Correct. How did you feel about it upon your second viewing of the film? I've actually seen this more than twice. I want to hear... I chose this one first, though, so I want to hear your thoughts before I go into my thoughts. Fine. It was good. Actually, I liked it. I probably liked the first half more than the last half because I like to ignore the things that are going on around me. So... (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. But... I just, I don't know, when I went into the film, I didn't really know what to expect about it at all. I've never seen trailers. I'm, I, I've just heard the name Pleasantville. That's literally it. So mm-hmm. I had no idea what to expect going into it. And when it started out, I'm like, oh, okay, cool. This is like the type of film that we don't get super often these days, where it's just like a wacky concept and you just kind of run with it or whatever. And I was thinking of films like Freaky Friday or... Big, which I think Gary Ross actually also directed, where it's just like like Freaky Friday, for example, or even Click, I guess. But Freaky Friday, for example, mother and daughter swap bodies. They have to live like there's important things going on in their lives at the moment. They have to basically pretend to be each other until they figure out a way to switch back. And and Big, like what happens if a kid becomes like a man overnight and how does he live in life? Or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like a wacky idea. Let's run with it and see what happens. Which is interesting because, as opposed to like Ex Machina, where what happens if we create, you know, artificial intelligence that could potentially take over the world and stuff like that? Run with that, which is a little deeper, a little darker, pretty thought provoking. And so going into this, I'm like, oh, it's a wacky one. Like, this will be fun. And that's the first half of the film. <laughs> and then as time goes on, it's like, oh, it's, they're really trying to say something. Okay, 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 okay. Yeah. You know? And so I wasn't expecting that. I think the themes that they were exploring in the film and addressing were good. I think that the execution bit could have been a little bit better. At times, it felt like a made-for-TV movie, which was weird to me. And maybe some of that is because they were kind of deep into the cinematic... Or like the cinematography of like a 50s sitcom. Yeah. And so maybe that kind of carried over a little bit and made it look a little cheesier when things were colored. Colorized, whatever you want to... What do they say? Turning color? What do they say in the film? I don't remember. I don't remember. But I think overall it's a good film. It's interesting. I like it. And I kind of wish that I would have seen more of the wacky things. But obviously they were actually trying to say something so... They kind of created the wacky hook at the beginning and then got to the meat that they actually wanted to get to, which makes sense. Yeah. It was good, though. It was uh, enjoyable. Also, before like putting down like all the information for it, I was like, oh, this sounds like Toy Story, like the music. Like, oh, I'm watching Toy Story right now because <laughs> Randy Newman was the composer. So it makes sense that there's a lot of crossover, I guess, in the style of music that you're hearing throughout the film. But fun. 
felt nostalgic because of that, especially. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like I said, I've seen this movie a few different times. I really like the themes to this movie. Mm-hmm. I, I, like you said, I like that they sort of have a soft lead into these like deeper issues. Yeah. Because I feel like that mirrors really well what the is happening to the characters in the movie where they are living sort of a very surface level kind of wacky, not wacky, but like an easygoing life. And then they are slowly immersed into this more complex, nuanced world. And then we as viewers have that same experience as well. Right. As we watch the, as we watch the film. So I really like it. I also think that this movie resonates a lot with some of the own my own personal experiences that I've had. I've been sucked into a TV show before, so oh shoot, <laughs> tell <laughs> no. me more. Um, no, I feel like just some of my life experiences. This movie resonates with me really well. Just the different types of growth that you have as an individual, and sort of slowly coming from a world in which you were taught things are metaphorically black and white, and then as you get older and as you get exposed to more parts of the world, you realize, oh, you know what? Things are a little bit more nuanced. So I I really enjoy that aspect of this movie, and every time I watch it, I just kind of get called back to my own upbringing and kind of how I have grown as a person as well. So I I really like that about this movie. I do. I love, like, I realized about halfway through the film that, I don't know if this is based off a book or anything, but like the word pleasant specifically is chosen absolutely perfectly because everything is just like middle of the road pleasant, you know, which is exactly like, I mean, yeah, people just want to live pleasant lives sometimes or whatever, but I mean, you kind of got to experience highs and lows most of the time. And that's just the way it goes. And Pleasant, like, they never experienced... Pleasantville, they never experienced highs or lows. They just knew exactly... Everything was laid out for them. They followed it to a T. They never had to deal with any lows, but they never got any highs either. Which, Betty experiences a high. Holy smokes. (laughs) But... Holy smokes, indeed. Yeah, that's true, huh? Oh, I didn't even mean to... Anyway, (laughs) I just thought that the use of the word Pleasant was... Uh, brilliant in that it, it was like a perfect description of what this place really was. I mean, sometimes I'm not going to lie. I mean, sometimes in my own life, because of the lows that I'm in, I would prefer a Pleasantville every once in a while, you know, <laughs> just not having to think and just being able to live a perfectly pleasant life, making every single basketball shot that you ever make. I always dreamed of that as a kid because I wasn't particularly sporty. And uh, I think that was part of like, I don't know if it's still this way growing up, but at least I feel like maybe we're a part of potentially the last generation that had to deal with being cool and popular and all that stuff. I think there's probably still a little bit of that. You know what I mean? Like you kind of, I felt that way. Maybe you didn't really care, but I always felt like, oh, but I want to be cool and popular because I had an older brother that was cool and popular. So it's was like, oh, I, I wish I could make all the basketball shots. I definitely think people nowadays, I mean... I think everyone, especially kids nowadays, have to deal with being cool and popular. I think it may, might look a little bit different than what you and I had growing yeah. up, but for sure. It was always associated with like sports and stuff growing up. But nowadays, I feel like there's plenty of popular people who are playing video games most of the time and not doing any sports or yeah. super artistic or whatever, which is very interesting. But yeah, I mean, watching the scene where Toby Maguire was, or David was, shooting all the baskets and he kicks it and it just perfectly goes in. It's like, oh man. That's what I always wanted growing up, just being able to yeah. do whatever. But I think, too, <laughs> like even in that moment, you see that the the other 
athletes that grew up in Pleasantville that are native Pleasantville students, they don't appreciate making every single shot because they haven't known anything else. So like the only reason that David appreciates it so much is because he's lived through not making it, you know? So Mm. even like, I think that you, you said like, you know, oh, I've had some lows and that makes me want to have pleasant. But the whole point is that they can't appreciate that pleasantness because they don't know anything but pleasantness. They, they just don't even, it's just life. They haven't really critically thought about anything beyond that because that's just the way it is. Yeah, it's like the whole Garden of Eden thing. Which is interesting because that's, I mean, this is kind of jumping forward, but. That's fine. When David shows, what is it, Big, is it Big Bob? No, 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 not Big Bob. When David shows, what's the name of the store owner, the restaurant Mr. Owner? Johnson. Yeah, when David shows Mr. Johnson the book of artwork, yeah, I don't know if you noticed this, but that's the first painting that you see is uh, the expulsion from the Garden of Eden. Oh, yeah, I wasn't even thinking about that. Yeah, that's clever. Yeah. That's super Yeah, cool. so there's very much this theme of being rejected from this quote-unquote perfect world, mm-hmm. and then you go outside of you know Pleasantville, you go outside the Garden of Eden, and you have so much more nuance, so much more color, so much more diversity of life and lived experiences. So it's yeah. definitely intentional in that in that component. Yeah. What did you think about Tommy McGuire's performance in this film? Because I know, I'm pretty sure you're, like a lot of people, like you kind of fall in the camp that Tommy McGuire is like, you know, there's room for improvement. <laughs> um, I think that Toby Maguire embodies his character really well. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, I don't have any issues with his performance in this. Okay, I was just, I was just curious. I mean, the whole time I was watching him, I'm like, oh, Sam Raimi probably watched this film and was like, oh yeah, that's Peter Parker right there. That's the Peter Parker I want for my films. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm. Like, because I feel like he didn't act really any different from how Peter Parker is in the first Spider-Man. That was just like a little thing that I noticed or whatever like I just felt like I was watching Peter Parker but without spider powers <laughs> I guess I don't even know that's funny yeah but I, I thought he did I, I agree with you I thought he did a, a fine job love me some Reese Witherspoon too so yeah she did a good job I feel like her character didn't get enough shine maybe like I agree I agree yeah it's interesting because I watched an interview with her uh, because I was still kind of for a while, I, I, I'll ask you this question as well. But like for a while, I was trying to figure out exactly like what being colorized means, like what's making that even happening or happen. Yeah. And I watched an interview with her, and she, I, she made it sound like it wasn't outright said to her, but her interpret her interpretation is that it's when you find your passion, and that's how she felt like it was for her character because she found reading and her intellect, and and so like there was a passion for her that she was able to find and that's when she turned color and I don't know if I agree with that but like her interpretation of her character was far more nuanced I think than was actually shown in the film which is probably natural for an actor or actress like they're gonna probably bring their own ideas to the to the character and stuff and have a little bit further of a backstory than what's actually laid out for them but yeah let me let me bring that question up to you like what what is being colorized do you think? Yeah, that's kind of the question I had too, because you have different contexts in which color is introduced into the world. Um, A lot of the young characters are 
colorized through sexual experiences. Mm -hmm. But to me, I think that the overarching theme to being colorized is getting is gaining knowledge. Mm. And that could be knowledge about your own sexuality, knowledge about your own body, but that could also be knowledge about the world, knowledge about um, emotional intelligence, uh, knowledge about your relationships and what that means to navigate them successfully. Interesting. Because, I mean, you have this very literal interpretation where all of Pleasantville is black and white, which is very symbolic of viewpoints of the world that are very black and white. There's right and wrong. Everyone has their specific box that they fit in. Women are supposed to stay at home, do the housework. Men are supposed to go off to work. Children are supposed to go to school and blah, blah, blah. Like everything is set in stone. Everything is like very put into very specific boxes. And then color is added into the world when you learn about things outside of that black and white binary. Mm. And you learn about, yeah, yourself, the world, other people. So I think for me, the overarching idea of being colorized is gaining some sort of knowledge. Interesting. I I think, I think there's like three different steps to the whole process. There's being in black and white in Pleasantville, and then there's seeing color for the first time, and then there's being color. Right. Those are like the three steps. So I actually think that the knowledge personally, I think that the knowledge part gaining knowledge is seeing color being colorized. I think that just watching that interview, I think that Reese Witherspoon was close, but it's not passion. It's more of finding your identity. I think that that is really well, that doesn't necessarily work out in every single case that you see in the film. And maybe there's just an inconsistency and there wasn't really a, a solid knowing from the from Gary Ross of how exactly he wanted to accomplish that. Maybe I should have watched some interviews with Gary Ross. But I think I think it's more of an identity because obviously David, Toby Maguire's character, has all the knowledge. He's the one that's teaching everyone, but he out of the main characters, he's the one that takes the longest to find color, I think, right? Or not find color, but to be colorized. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that he didn't really have an identity because his whole identity was watching the show because that's all he ever wanted because his life felt just totally upside down. He didn't have anything that he wanted. He was too shy to go talk to the girl at the beginning of the film. He has a mom that doesn't seem to value the kids more than herself and what she wants or I don't really they don't really go into the mom very much at all from the beginning of the film the Malcolm the middle mom but there's that and basically his whole life is just watching Pleasantville because that's all he wants he just wants something pleasant because he's just in a low like his whole life is a low pretty much probably is what I'm assuming his character feels and so he watches Pleasantville his identity is Pleasantville he's middle of the road he just wants middle of the road he doesn't want anything up or down. He just wants to stay right on, you know, a baseline. And then as the film progresses and there's like the whole colorized people versus black and white people. And then Betty gets cornered by all those kids who are still in black street and white. Street youths. The street youths. And I mean, it sounds like they're going to rough her up in some way. It sounds like it's going to, you know, be pretty bad. And he goes and steps up. And, and stands up for her, and that's when he finds his color. He finally has an identity. It's not just Pleasantville. He finds an identity of like, oh, I'm a defender of people, right? I'm, I'm going to stand up for these people and, and try to help them 
progress and 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 see the world through a different point of view and and realize that you know being middle of the road isn't all that it's cracked up to be because you don't get to experience the highs obviously you have to experience lows and all that stuff but like you get to find yourself he helps mr johnson find art and actually pursue that that's sort of the one inconsistency though because mr johnson takes a very long time to turn colorized as well and arguably he found his identity because he wanted to be an artist it seemed like but he only turns color once he's had sex with betty i assume or is with betty it's implied that they probably had sex but maybe not but that's that's the way that i interpreted it is that you find your true identity or your true self yeah no i i I like what you said about like seeing color as being knowledge i i like that idea Mm. i do i I agree with this idea that becoming colorized is finding your identity, but to me, I'm not, I'm not really sure that I would use the word identity because, and obviously we don't know the lives of the secondary characters in this, but it's sort of implied that a lot of the secondary character, the, the young students, you know, the high schoolers, they become colorized after having some sort of like sexual experience. Right. And I don't really know if I would say that that's an identity. I mean, obviously we're not following them as closely, so it might just be the fact that they didn't have time to tell those stories. But kind of going along that vein, I feel like maybe becoming colorized is when you act in a way that's true to yourself, but that society doesn't expect of you Mm. or that you maybe don't even expect of yourself. Yeah. And that to me tracks a little bit more because obviously the everyone in Pleasantville hasn't really been taught about sex. They don't really know what it is. And so when these when the high schoolers engage in sexual activity that they become colored because that's sort of unexpected of them, but that's a natural part of pretty much everyone. So they become colorized in that way. And then Jennifer, she becomes colorized once she sort of decides to instead of being like the cool girl at school who will like sleep with whoever she rejects the advances of that one guy to stay at home and read. And so she's true to herself in a way that she didn't expect of herself and that Mm. society maybe didn't expect of her. And then David becomes colorized once he, you know, stands up and has courage, which throughout the film, you kind of see that he doesn't really, he's not confident. He's not courageous. So he's acting in a way that's sort of surprising to himself, but that is who he is. So I think that to me, just the fact that they're going from black and white and the black and white is so symbolic of societal expectations that there's a little bit more to it than just your identity. But I do, I, and once you started talking, I I do agree that becoming colorized is different than seeing color and that it it has to do with your identity for sure. Yeah. Cause a lot of them, it it does happen after like a a sexual experience. (laughs) Yeah. It's very interesting. Something that's also interesting. I don't quite understand what happens in the courtroom where most of the people turn colorized. (laughs) I don't quite understand that. Like usually there's like an actual action that takes place that makes them turn into color, but all of them were just sitting and and just watching something. And that's pretty much it. And that's, I mean, I think for them, maybe going off of this idea that you become colorized when you do something that's true to who you are, that society doesn't expect of you. Maybe it's the fact that they believed David Mm. when he does his whole spiel and then he, then they become colorized because they were on the side of the, of Pleasantville where they didn't like 
that people were being colorized. And then in that moment, they embrace a new part of themselves that they weren't really expecting and that society wasn't expecting of them. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe that tracks a little bit more because from what I understand from Pleasantville, what's that one kid's like he was supposed to, she was supposed to bake the cookies for Whitey or something like that. For, for Whitey. yeah. For Whitey. Right. And my guess, because David doesn't seem to have a problem with Whitey, my guess is that he was a pretty good kid or whatever. And then the second that there's like this weird um, like segregation, I guess, going on. Then he just starts cornering colored people and like tries to take him down. And he's a terrible human being <laughs> in that moment. I'm like, what? Yeah. Like, what even happened to you? Is that his true identity? How come he didn't turn colorized <laughs> like or colored in that moment? I would say, I mean, maybe it is his true identity. Maybe it isn't. We don't really know him that well. Yeah. But a lot of people, particularly like white men, are socialized to feel threatened when the system in which they are in power is threatened. So, mm. I mean, there, it's it's not a coincidence that the majority, if not all, of the people who don't like the fact that Pleasantville is becoming colorized are married white men, like yeah. older married white men. Right. Like, that's, that's very intentional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to lie. I was shocked at that. I mean, it, it made sense that there would probably be characters like that, but I was just like, oh, wow, you guys really turn into scumbags all of a sudden. <laughs> like, you were perfectly pleasant, now you're a scumbag. Yeah, I mean, kind of going off what you just said, though, like, many people are perfectly pleasant when they are on top in a system, and the moment that their supremacy of being on top is threatened or challenged, they become very aggressive. Like, that's that's a very common character trait were there any, did you notice i don't remember were there any women that were still black and white like towards the end of the film in the courtroom and all that stuff i didn't i didn't look closely no i don't know I, yeah now i'm curious i should i should have um, checked that out to see if there was any if it was just men that were left <laughs> that were black and white um from the get-go oh yeah that's that's what i wanted to ask this is kind of off the off the topic but this came out in 1998 when did you watch this movie for the first time Five or six years ago, maybe. Okay, so not super long. Do you remember, like, because I was watching it, and I was kind of looking at the mayor, like, are you are you in the know on this? Like, do you know that this is just a TV show? Because he, he seemed to behave, and maybe it's just his acting, but he seemed to behave just slightly different than everyone else, not quite 50s, mm. I thought, anyway. Because everyone sounded like a stereotypical, like, 50s husband, whatever, you know? When they were, like, meeting in the... Uh, bowling alley and somewhere else, the barbershop. I don't even know. Like they sounded like a classic 50 sitcom character, but the mayor seemed like well, he comes into the barbershop and says like, Oh, we got a problem here. And then the guy's in the middle of his haircut. And then the guy's, Oh, let me give you my seat. It's like, Oh no, I couldn't ask you to do that as he's sitting down in a seat. And so in my head, it's just like, Oh, like that doesn't seem like what the mayor would do in the Pleasantville. Like, is he in on it? Like, does he know? And he's just taking advantage of it all. And that's why he was so opposed. Huh? I really like the idea of the mayor, Big Bob, right? That's his name. Okay. Big Bob. I, I really like the idea that Big Bob was from the real world and transported into Pleasantville and decided to stay there because... It was, it suited him. I like, I don't know if that's what you were kind of getting at, but. That's what I, that's what I thought. I put that in my notes. I'm like, does he like, yeah, was he teleported? Because that would explain why that TV repair guy was so adamant about getting 
David and Jennifer in on the show because he thought that they would be able to finally get everyone out of this trance or whatever, you know. Like the get Pleasantville out of a trance? Yeah, or like like he like he has a bone to pick with with Big Bob or whatever. Like he's the one that's keeping everyone in here. They're not evolving in any way. Like we need to get Big Bob out of out of the seat because he's keeping things but doesn't doesn't the guy that remote repairman doesn't he not like that David and Jennifer are shaking things up? He says that. He says that, but then at the end of the film he smiles and drives off. Like this is what I wanted all along. Yeah, I kind of was wondering the same thing cuz I I noticed that he smiles at the end and I'm like, "Why are you smiling?" I think he was just uh when he was acting like he wasn't into what they were doing and um colorizing everyone. I think that he was just kind of putting on a show to test David's, I don't know, metal, like I guess. Yeah, whatever. whatever. To, to see if he'll hmm. still go against him or whatever and maybe push him to, to be more courageous, I guess. I don't know. I think that was just a tactic of his. Yeah, I don't know. But I do like the idea that Big Bob is a plant from the future. I think so. Or the, Yeah, the future. Yeah, sure. I guess I don't well, know. Well, from the real world. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, I don't even know. Who knows when he made his way in there? Who knows? I have no idea. That's just my theory because he seemed a little bit different and he seemed more selfish than everyone else because he would just take people's stuff all the time. He's the one that's bowling. He's the one that's getting strikes. He, he wasn't very pleasant. He wasn't very pleasant. Yeah, he, he was the one that was advocating the hardest for keeping things the way that they were. And then he's the one that's so... at the He's the last one that's like he yells at David or whatever and gets mad at him at the very last second. And then he turns color and storms out of the courtroom. Yeah. I never really thought about that, but cool. I like that. I like it too. I'm going to stick with it then. Do it. Yeah. I mean, that was one of the questions I had was why did the repairman want to send someone into Pleasantville? Cause he says he's been looking for a really long time. Right. Yeah. But maybe it is to fix things. I think so, man, because like, at first, I was thinking that he just wanted to help David out. Like, hey, David, you need to be snapped out of this. I'm going to send you into Pleasantville to let you know that it's actually better to have highs and lows than to just be, you know, at a baseline the, your entire life. Like, that's not, it's not worth it. Like, you need to go out there and experience life and not be stuck in the idealistic Pleasantville that you like so much. Yeah. But yeah, but then he got angry at him and then he smiled basically when everything was finally put to color, I guess. And, I don't know. He's uh, that seems like that was probably his goal all along was to get them out of it. Yeah, maybe. I never really thought about that, but I feel like that adds some layers oh. to this film. Oh my goodness. <laughs> wow. I should have like a little jingle every time we <laughs> find a new layer. Do it. Yeah. One scene I wanted to talk about that I really liked was I think it's after something gets colorized and David is sort of realizing that Jennifer is shaking things up and he confronts her in the hallway at the school. And he's like, you can't do this to these people. They don't deserve it or whatever. And she says something along the lines of these people don't want to be geeks. They want to be attractive. And he says, they don't have that potential. (laughs) I really like this scene because it shows how Jennifer and David are seeing Pleasantville through their own lenses and their own views of the world because you get from the beginning that David and Jennifer are twins and Jennifer I love her line when she says I can't believe you're related to him only on my parents side I I thought that was so funny but (laughs) you can see that she's definitely worked to cultivate a very specific image and it's likely an image 
where she was trying to move away from like geekiness or nerdiness. Yeah. She wanted to be, you know, quote unquote cool. Yeah. And she then projects that onto all of the people in Pleasantville. They don't want to be geeks. They want to be attractive. Yeah. And then you get David who you learn from the, throughout the very beginning of the film that he's doesn't really, he isn't really confident. He's wanting this life that he doesn't think he can have. And he says they don't have the potential for that. Yeah. And I just really like that in that, in that moment, you kind of see that each of the characters is bringing their own world experience and viewpoints to, I mean, what is essentially a empty canvas, a black and white yeah. canvas. And then they kind of go from there. But I just really enjoyed that dialogue and how they sort of are reflecting their own fears and aspirations onto these people. I just, I think that it does a really good job of showing the motivations behind the characters. Yeah. Well, I mean, like you have Jennifer's character, which embraces the messiness of life, I think. I think she embraces mm -hmm. it fully. And then obviously like she, she has all these goals to just be popular and, and, and whatnot and fit in, but she embraces the messiness and, and then, yeah, you have David who, who rejects the messiness. He just wants everything to be nice and even the whole time. And so he, he feels so much pain and anguish, I think, from all the messiness that he's had to deal with in his life. And so he's like, no, like these people are you know, like they, they don't have this messiness. They don't have to experience these lows. You're totally ruined this whole thing. You're going to ruin this thing. Like as as long as they are still at the Pleasantville that I've always known, they won't have global warming. They won't have this because everything's mm -hmm. going to be perfect in Pleasantville. That's just the way it goes. And you're going to bring all these problems upon them that they don't need to have. And uh, so I get it. I see his point of view, right? Like it, yeah. it makes sense. I, I, I get that. And sometimes, sometimes it's nice to just be pleasant. I totally, I totally get that. Like I said earlier, like it would be nice to just have yeah. a pleasant life <laughs> instead of anything else. And sometimes I strive for that because there's just, especially the holidays, it gets busy. You got to do all this stuff or whatever. And then mm -hmm. once you are done with all the craziness of all that, then it's like, okay, let's just have things be pleasant and just have a yeah. normal structured life for a little while until things have to ramp up again for birthdays and whatever, you know? So yeah. I totally get that, but he just wants that to be his whole life. I think part of the idea of this film is, is you can't, you can't, yeah, force people. I think we said this earlier, you can't force people into your box. And we've discussed that theme throughout many films in this. I think mm -hmm. with Whiplash, we discussed some other films. You, your idea of success isn't going to be the same as everyone else's idea of success. So Big Bob, the mayor, or whatever, if that's his name. Is it really his name is Big Bob? I think so. <laughs> I don't, I don't remember picking that up, but maybe. You're probably right. I just don't remember that. J.T. Walsh? Yeah, J.T. Walsh, right? His his character's name is Big Bob? It says that on IMDb, yeah. <laughs> All right. Heck yeah, man. I can get down with that. Big Bob's idea for the entire... He's the mayor, so he's the one that has the, the biggest say out of everyone and, and the structure, I guess, of the city or town or whatever, I suppose. But... I don't remember what I, I got so thrown off by Big Bob. I don't remember exactly where I was where I was going with that. But he just wants everything to ple be pleasant. Oh yeah, he wants everything to be pleasant and for everyone to conform to that. And that's not the right way to go about things. You can absolutely live your pleasant life the way that you know some of the people do yeah. or whatever. Absolutely, like if that's what your whole family system is a, in agreement on and they prefer it that way, go for it. But you can't force everyone to live that way. 
Why do you think Big Bob doesn't want stuff to change? Like, why do you think he wants to force everyone into those boxes? Well, like you said earlier, I think it benefits him, especially in his position. He's the mayor, and he gets seats given up for him. Like, he has everything he wants. You know what I mean? Like, he probably just wants to keep it that way so that he keeps staying on top, like you said earlier. Yeah, no, I I, I definitely think that's a major part to it because you kind of get that. There's that scene towards the end where he goes and asks George to join the Chamber of Commerce or something. I yeah. think it's that scene. Right. And he says, he shares this story where he's like, somebody was at the grocery store and the grocery store bagger just stopped putting the groceries in the bag and walked away because they said, I don't want to do this anymore. Right. And they took three hours to bag all the ba- groceries or whatever. Yeah. I think that that is such a pivotal moment that you see why Big Bob doesn't want things to change because people living their own lives and people doing what they want to do inconveniences him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because now he has to sit and bag his own groceries. He doesn't have a designated grocery bagger to take care of that for him. And what's really, really interesting is that he never comes out and says that. It's never, oh, you know, it's more convenient for me to for people to just be disposable in that way. He always couches it in terms of like tradition and we shouldn't change and things have always been pleasant and great here. And he really couches it in this idea of things are good the way that they are. So why do they need to change? But it's, it's so deceitful because you can really see that it's all about the fact that he wants to maintain power and control over the people in his sphere. Yeah. Also, I mean, I do want to bring up Like with all of these changes and everyone being colorized and all that stuff, (laughs) that town is going to go to crap for a little while because everyone is just going to walk away from what they were doing (laughs) and no one's going to be there to do groceries and all that stuff. Because I think there is a little bit of truth to what David says. Sometimes you don't like what you do and you just have to do it. And like there is a little bit of truth. Like obviously you should find your passion, all that stuff, but you're going to have to go through the jobs that you don't really care about. And mm-hmm. and just lives through it because you got to make that cheddar, you know? Yeah, and I think that that right there is a critique of the system, right? Why have we built a system where you have to do things you don't want to do in order to make ends meet or to, you know, pursue your passions? Because I'm sure Big Bob doesn't do anything he doesn't want to do. Right. So why is Big Bob the only person that gets to enjoy the benefit yeah. of not having to do things you don't want to do? So I think that like, yeah, maybe Pleasantville does fall into some chaos while they're trying to figure things out. But the only reason the chaos exists in the first place is because Pleasantville, Pleasantville is built on a system that inherently required people to be in positions that they didn't want to be in. Yeah. So now when people began to question that system, it falls apart. That doesn't mean that questioning the system is bad. It just means the system needs to be fixed. Yeah, yeah. Which you're going to have to naturally go through like an adjustment period that's probably going to be rough for a little while, but it'll yeah. end up working out at, at a certain point. And and yeah, I totally I totally agree. If it was set up in a in a more beneficial way for everyone from the get-go, then there wouldn't be a, a huge uh, falling apart of the system. How many people are passionate about bagging groceries? You know, I don't know if it's necessarily <laughs> about passion about bagging groceries, but yeah. I think that people there are some people that like to help others mm. and also there are some people that they're fine doing whatever job as long as they can make, you know, live an adequate life. You yeah. know, some people don't, you know, have passions to be a politician or a famous actor or whatever. They just want to like live a very normal, not horrible, stressful life. And that's fine too, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. They might not be passionate about it, but they don't hate it and they're willing to do it if they can 
you know, not be mistreated in the process. My, my, I bring that up because there's probably a very low percentage of people that actually want to bag groceries. But yeah, there's, you're probably right. There's probably the social aspect as well. Maybe they get to talk to people every once in a while, bag of groceries. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's nice. Like I get out. But also like how necessary is that job? <laughs> that's true. There's a lot like, of self-checkout you now. You don't really need a grocery bagger. That's true. At the same time though, Oh man, I don't know. That's that's a bigger discussion or whatever because you got to have jobs. Like you got to have ways for people to make money. I don't know. I think. Well, yeah, but I'm saying like if no one wants to be the grocery bagger, it's not like society will it's not like a a garbage collector yeah. or like a sanitary engineer. Like sure. society will not fall apart if we don't have grocery baggers. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, like you said it's kind of a larger conversation of like having jobs so that people can make money, but I'm sure that you could build a society where people can do something that they see more meaningful than bagging groceries. True. My dad actually wants to be a, a cashier. Yeah, see, some people just like like the jobs where you can talk to people, you can just kind of stand there, <laughs> you don't have to be super stressed out maybe. I mean, I've never been a cashier. Maybe it's super stressful. But. I don't know. Well, my dad specifically said, <laughs> he said that he would be fine being a cashier, but he would have rules. I will not do any price checks. <laughs> I will like, <laughs> like, he doesn't want, he just wants to scan it and move it along. And that's all he wants to do. <laughs> See, there you go. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think that's his passion. I think that's just something that he would enjoy doing. Yeah, I just, <laughs> I guess there's, yeah, there's people like that out there for sure. I just want to scan. Did you ever watch Employee of the Month? Mm-mm. Oh, that's a Dane Cook and um, oh Kristen Bell's husband. I don't remember his name. Dax Shepard. Dax Shepard. Yeah, yeah. That's a movie with them, and I the whole movie is it's like these cashiers, and it's they're trying to win Employee of the Month, and Dax Shepard's like the fastest cashier of all time, or something like that. Like no one's beat <laughs> his speed. It's a ridiculous comedy. It's awesome though. I haven't seen it for a very long time. That's funny. Anyway. I'm going to ask just an open-ended question. Obviously, I have my own interpretation, but Sweet. how do you feel like the concept of this movie intersects with gender and gender roles? I mean, it's obvious because it's rooted in a traditional way of living from at least how everything was depicted on television from back in the day. And um, certainly that's how it was throughout a lot of a lot of the world, I think, where the, the man goes and gets that cheddar, comes home, expects a dinner, and, you know, the wife stays home and takes care of everything. And that's that's just the way that it was always set up or whatever. So, obviously, I mean, that's a that's a big theme in this, of, especially with Betty. She she straight up tells George, no, like, no, I'm not going to I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. It's not what I want to do. I'm not my whole life isn't. I don't want it to be about me serving you guys <laughs> anymore. I want to be able to do things that I want to do and not just be stuck at home all day or whatever it is. You know, I don't know. There's probably groups that she she has and stuff like that. But for the most part, she's probably at home taking care of the home. So I think that's a big part of the theme is is I mean, I mean, maybe the biggest theme is finding your own you know true self like we were talking about earlier. But in that is yeah. breaking tradition. I don't know. What do you think? Going off of what you said, I love that part where George comes home. And he's like, honey, I'm home. And then she's not there. Yeah. And he doesn't even care. She's like, he's like, where's my dinner? He says that three times. I wrote that down. That's what he's concerned about. He's he's not concerned about where's my wife? Where's my family? Yeah. He's like, where's my dinner? Yeah. Which And then it's interesting because it's after that point that George gets more invested in stopping the colorization because 
it's starting to negatively impact his own life. Right. But he doesn't even see Betty as another human who can experience this differently. He sees Betty as the maker of his dinner, yeah. which, like you said, is very much the cultural expectation of the time and in many locations and sort of has persisted to this day. One thing I thought was really interesting was the idea of colorization as it relates to gender when looking at Bill Johnson and Betty, because both of them end up getting colorized and they're two of the adult characters who we kind of learn more about their colorization process, I would say. And I think it's really interesting because Bill, who's a man, is very excited about color. He finds it really fascinating. He finds it very intriguing. And he is not afraid of the color, but Betty is terrified of it. When she turns colored, she you know, has that breakdown at the sink and she's freaking out about, she's freaking out about her husband seeing her and the other community members seeing her. To, to her, color isn't something that's interesting or a sign of curiosity. Color is dangerous and color is scary to her. Yeah. And I was kind of thinking about why it's portrayed so differently for both of these characters. And I, I think that one of the reasons, I mean, there could be many, but Bill is a man and his social position, his ability to embrace the color, he doesn't really have his status threatened in the same way that Betty does because Betty is, her status is directly in subservience to her husband mm-hmm. who who doesn't support people being colorized, you know? Yeah. And she doesn't have that same privilege of being able to see color as this interesting thing that she can sort of explore and play with without being sort of ostracized or threatened Mm. in a sense. So I really like that component that you see this idea of colorization and to the two two adult characters, it's perceived very differently because of their status and position in society. And I mean, obviously it gets to the point where Bill has his restaurant like attacked and stuff, but that comes very much down the line because even before Betty turns colorized she's having that like bridge party with the other women in society and they're sort of Mm. talking kind of negatively about the kids becoming colored so i just thought it was really interesting that you have the same phenomenon happening but two people react very differently based on their gender because of the way that they are positioned in society because of their gender very interesting and yeah going back to his soda shop getting vandalized it's only getting vandalized because of the window art that he puts up of Betty. And so it's still kind of directly related to her and yeah. And how she's supposed to be conforming to, you know, the societal norms, I guess, of, of their traditional life in, in Pleasantville. Very interesting. Very interesting indeed. I do not agree, however, <laughs> with just putting up a naked <laughs> mural or whatever. <laughs> Of of someone that people know too. I don't know. I mean, obviously she gave him the go ahead, otherwise he wouldn't have done it. But I don't agree, however, with with putting that window art up. I think that's why not. I just don't. I don't think it's a good idea to just force people to see what you want to see. You know what I mean? Like obviously they could turn away, but there's kids. I have kids. I don't know. I don't want them to see like a naked woman on a on a window personally. I don't want the. It's kind of like a loss of innocence too early, in my opinion. So, would you let them see like art that has naked 
depictions of naked people in it if it's a book and they decide that they want to do it but they're just walking out on the street and they just kind of are subjected to it without their consent or go ahead or whatever i don't agree i know that there's places in places in the world that do that as well maybe france i don't know i've heard that like there's like nude stuff all over the place like in different areas and i i mean like that's the way that the culture is that's totally fine but that's I don't know. With the way that I want to raise my children, I wouldn't really be super... I wouldn't vandalize the whole store, but I would be like, oh, let's not walk down... <laughs> You'd burn it down. Yeah. You wouldn't throw a brick through the window. Yeah, I'd just burn, burn the whole down. thing down. I Yeah, I would probably be like, oh, let's let's not go to the soda shop today. <laughs> and I'll, yeah. I'll send him a letter just letting him maybe know that, like, hey, I'm not sure if I'm super into that. If that's how you want to do the store, that's fine, but... I don't know, man. I feel like that's kind of pushing yeah. the envelope a little bit, Mr. Johnson. <laughs> yeah, no, I I understand where you're coming from. And this idea of public spaces should be appropriate for all ages or all the people that are going to be in that public space. Yeah. I don't know, though, if I would say that it was problematic. It's not like it was a sexual. It wasn't pornographic. It wasn't it wasn't a sexualized image. It was a just a piece of artwork. With that happen to have a naked body in it. Yeah, but it's someone that you know too. I don't know. I think it's I think it's slightly different. If it was like a proper piece of art. What is a proper piece of art? Someone you don't like know? An, like an actual historical thing or whatever. I don't even know. But like the fact that it's someone that you know, it just kind of seems a little, I don't know. Especially, I mean, I have two girls, but especially like if I had two boys who were definitely like identifying as like straight, I would be like, ooh, I'm not sure how I feel about this. Because every time they see Betty... They might be like, oh, oh, Betty. <laughs> but so to, to you, is Betty sexualized in that image or is she, does she have the potential to be sexualized, I guess? I think she has the potential to be sexualized. I mean, obviously, she's not like in a position where she's like having sex or anything like that. Yeah. It's it's the it's the female body and it's art. I mean, the way that it's it's positioned, it's, it's more artwork than it is sexualized. But I still feel like. The the just the aspect of nudity being available at all is a little problematic to me for kids. That's problematic for me. I think Yeah, yeah, no. I, I think that. if they have if they're at an age where they're really appreciating art, like, okay, that's art at that point or whatever. But oh developing minds and you don't know how that's really gonna affect a developing mind, that it could end up it kind of it comes down to the parent as well of of uh, properly educating them and how that they should maybe look at it and maybe view it instead of maybe coming to their own conclusions. That's also a big part of it. But I don't know. Just parents like to know when they're going to have to have that conversation. And I wouldn't want to be there with my five-year-old daughter and have to have that conversation right there. But what, what would the conversation be? It's like, oh, why is that naked lady up there on the window? I you don't say, oh, know. It's a piece of art. It's a piece of art. Well, why is it Betty? I don't know why it's Betty. I'm not entirely sure what's going on over there. Like, oh, look at those boobs. Like, will I have boobs? <sighs> One day, yeah. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's just like yeah. Mr. Johnson indirectly forced me to have a, have a conversation that maybe I wasn't prepared for. I would like to be mentally prepared to answer questions instead of have to answer the questions on the spot without actually preparing something and potentially saying something that could uh, impact the kid negatively over on or down the line because I wasn't prepared. Don't you think though, whenever your child decides to maybe ask about like how, if they're going to grow up to have boobs or whatever, it usually happens out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah, out of nowhere, right? So I know. I mean, I know what you're saying. I think too the idea that it's Betty, that it's someone you know, makes it a little bit different because 
yeah, like this is someone you know. Like yeah. that, I, that does make it feel different. And I don't know how I feel on this. I'm sort of just like playing devil's advocate here. Yeah, sure. But to me, I think it would be different if it was a pornographic piece of art yeah. or an erotic piece of art in a public space. But it w- it clearly wasn't made to be sexualized. The, the Bill didn't paint it in a... S- sexual manner i would say it was just the body as art not the body as a sexual object you know or a sexual entity so yeah i mean it's like if you were to walk into a library or an old building and there's a statue of a naked person or a piece of art of a naked person you know but yeah i i get what you're saying though of like well this is very kind of in your face for like the soda shop down the street you know this is yeah the library this isn't a museum this is exactly main street or whatever I, so i get what you're saying the norm was to have a christmas tree and a dog with presents around him that was that was the norm for the soda shop window <laughs> art and now all of a sudden it's 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 a, a a nude female body and yeah i wasn't prepared for that that's not great because like yeah like you said like a museum or whatever like if there's going to be nude art in there, you're probably going to know that it, there's going to be nude art in there. You've probably seen the museum before and you know it's going to be in there. And that's you're able to, you know, establish that kind of cadence of like, this is this is art. But then when you see yeah. Betty on the window with her with her boobs hanging out, it's like, oh, shoot, <laughs> like this is not OK. We're going to go to McDonald's today. Yeah. I don't even know their last name. What is the last name of the family? I don't remember. Uh, I don't know if they have. one. Yeah, they might not. I was going to say Mrs. Whatever, but. Also, I will say it's problematic that she had zero conversation with her husband <laughs> about going to get painted <laughs> by Mr. Johnson uh, without... Why? You got to have a conversation with your husband about that. You got to. That's a very what important thing. What would that thing. conversation look like? Hey, Mr. Johnson wants to paint me nude. Oh, why? Does he have intentions of getting with you or whatever? You know what I mean? Like... The husband's got to know about that. I, I, you could say whatever devil's advocate thing that you have over there, but I will not, like, I can't budge on, like, I'm not budging on the art thing on Mr. Johnson's soda <laughs> yeah, shop. To get I know you you're budge. not. And I'm not budging on that either because marriage yeah. and being married is way, well, being in a part, partnership period requires communication. And if, if I were George and I was walking down the street and I saw that, I'm like, whoa, okay. So when you say it requires a conversation, does that mean Betty needs to tell George she's going to get painted naked or Betty needs to ask permission to get painted naked? They need to, She doesn't have to ask permission. It's going to pose a problem for their relationship, though, if he's not accepting of that and she just does it anyway. And at that point, you have to have a conversation. Well, do we... Is this just not working anymore? Because obviously you want to go and do your own thing, but that doesn't work for me, man. That's not what I married you for. I married you for dinner. <laughs> no, I'm mar- <laughs> That's what George would yeah, say. Yeah. That's what he did say pretty much. <laughs> but like I I didn't this is not what I signed up for. This is not something that you ever said that you wanted to do. You never said that you wanted to pose for art nude and you just went out and did it anyway without me without my knowledge. And that's that's kind of problematic to me because like I guess kind of going into having random conversations later too. Like everyone's going to go up to him and be like, Hey, like, Oh, I didn't realize she was, you know, like, I didn't know that, I don't know, be a part of art or I don't know what I'm trying to say, but you know what I mean? Like he's going to, he's going to go on like having to explain, Oh, it was just, it was just this. And he didn't know. And he wasn't in the know. And now he's caught off guard. It's messed up. I think. 
Um, yeah, I see where you're coming from. I'm not playing devil's advocate here. I just disagree with you. Okay. <laughs> but I don't think she needs to have a conversation. I don't, I mean, she can if she wants, if she feels like it's necessary to communicate that with her husband. But in my opinion, it's her body. She can do what she wants with it. If she wants to get painted naked, go for it. If she wants to have that image plastered up on a wall, on a glass, like she doesn't have to have any precursor of a conversation, whether that's asking permission or having a discussion with her husband. Would I do things differently? Probably. I would probably talk to my wife before making any decisions like that. But I don't think that she, I don't think it should be expected or required of her. And if, like I, I think that she's allowed to do what she wants. And if her husband doesn't like it, then they can talk about it afterwards. But she doesn't owe him that conversation beforehand. But they don't have the cadence that she can do just whatever she wants with her body. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, that's a conversation that you probably have at the beginning of a partnership. You know what I mean? What do you mean she doesn't have the cadence? Like, their relationship isn't built off of her going off of, or like, going off and and getting her body painted and plastered on a window. You know what I mean? This is going to be a huge shock to their relationship because that's not what they do. Do. That's not what they've ever done. And maybe if there was a conversation beforehand, maybe he would be. Well, George, maybe not. But maybe the whatever significant other partner, spouse would be like, oh, OK, yeah, that's that's kind of cool. Like, I think that that would mm-hmm. be nice or whatever. Like, go for it. Like, I, that would be really interesting to see you in a piece of art. Like, that's really cool. But I don't know. Like, if the base was set from the get go that the husband or the spouse or the partner is totally okay with that, then yeah, you don't really have to have a conversation. But if that was never set as an expectation from the get-go, then you, I think that you should have a conversation about that before you just do it. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you that it, it would be help. And I guess maybe we're sort of just talking semantics here, but I think one of the main problems is George and Betty don't have a relationship where they can talk openly about that. Like it's implied that, they haven't even had sex before. Yeah. And it's also explicitly stated that Betty feels a lot of shame from George and from other people in her community and her, in her circle yeah. that she's colorized, that she's sort of thinking this way and acting this way. So George has not in any way created a safe environment for Betty to have that conversation. So that I don't think therefore it's Betty's responsibility to then ask for permission or to have a conversation with George when he has clearly indicated that he is not a safe person to talk to about this. I think, like I said, I would go about it differently. I would talk to my spouse before it, or I would at least give them a heads up like, hey, when you go to Main Street, just let you know there's gonna be a naked picture of me or whatever. But I think just the act of getting painted in the nude doesn't require a conversation with with your partner. I think it would probably be helpful if you want to maintain the relationship and build healthy communication. But I mean, at the end of the day, like it's her body. And if she's not betraying their relationship, like, you know, cheating on him or, or whatever it may be. Which she did, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And that's that's separate. That's separate then. Sure. The, the act of getting painted. But I, I see what you're saying, though. Like, I think regardless of kind of where you fall on it, it's important to have communication with your spouse but or your partner. But yeah, anyway. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying about the safe space and he's not giving her a safe space to really talk. But then again, she's never... 
really put in a huge effort to actually create an open dialogue. Neither is he, yeah. but neither is she. She's just said no. That's all she's said. And then she just walked away. Yeah. And to be fair, though, when they do have that conversation later and George is like, you're going to the town hall. You're going to be at home when I come home. You're going to have dinner on the table. And she tells him that's not going to happen. He does not budge at all. He's like, no, you're going to do this. I'm telling you, you're going to do this. So... I mean, we would assume that Betty probably knew any conversation she had with George beforehand about, hey, I'm going to, you know, get painted in the nude. He would have reacted that way and told her no. But then at the end of the day, she either has to ignore that no and get painted anyway, which is going to be the same exact problem that we're in right now. Or she's going to have to acquiesce to him and not get painted, which is not a, a that's not a healthy relationship for her to be in. So, I think in this situation it's kind of a lose-lose for Betty because it's like she talks to him and she isn't given permission to do it or she doesn't talk to him and she gets in trouble for not talking to him. Yeah. Um but that's very specific to their relationship because George for the majority of this film is not open to Betty being anything other than a subservient housewife. You see George is a bad person? I don't see him as I, I don't think most people aren't good or bad. I mean, that's, I think, black and white, right? Like, mm-hmm. the whole point of this movie is people aren't black and white. I think that George buys into a system that's very problematic and tries to uphold for a long time a system that's oppressive. Mm-hmm. And we see at the end that he sort of learns and changes and grows. But I think that he makes some bad decisions. and I think he supports some bad misogynistic ideas. Yeah. I don't know. I just feel like... People look at a people that are kind of stuck in their traditional ways and they're not changing as quick as they would like or whatever. Like George changes at some point. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I think there's a lot of people out there that will look at him and how slow that he was to change and, and see him as like this negative human being or whatever that's adding into a you know a terrible lifestyle and, and, and this or that or whatever. But like you got to understand that this guy's lived this way his entire life. It's going to take a while and it's going to take yeah. probably an eye-opening experience, which happens obviously from David trying to get him to understand, I guess, the value of his actual marriage and actual partnership instead yeah. of just food. But I don't know. Even if there's... Ah, it's a partnership. I don't know. I just... It's very hard for me to budge on that. Like when it's, when it's a married partnership the communication's got to be there i understand that it's like her body she could do whatever she wants but i guess she's going into it knowing that it's probably going to cause the end of her relationship if he doesn't ever change and that's fine i suppose i do like an order of operations personally though because i feel like if it's not working out then you got to separate or whatever which she never which doesn't really exist in their yeah. world obviously so it's a little different in this in this case but yeah they're navigating a very complex yeah, relationship very true very true but in my in my head there's there's got to be an order of operations because you can't just like there's got to be the communication and if there is a departure in like values or not necessarily values but like opinions i guess on how things should go then there's like if the marriage isn't working anymore, then you should probably get separated first before you start going off and getting painted because I just, I don't know. And obviously like, yeah, again, it's different because this is Pleasantville. So they don't even understand that concept. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. Yeah. And I, I agree with you that if they wanted to have a healthy relationship with open communication, they should have had healthy communication. Yes. 
I don't think though that that is required of Betty in order to get painted. But they're in this very awkward transitional space where George is still literally in the black and white and Betty has sort of changed and moved and adapted. So I agree with you, like a conversation would have probably been helpful for them to sort of figure out where the other person was, but just the way that George was in his mindset, it wouldn't have been productive for Betty to have that conversation. And I don't think that it's required of her. Anyway, that's kind of where I fall in that debacle. I guess we shall agree to disagree, which is totally fine. I don't. Yeah, I mean, people will approach it differently. It's not just kind of people's viewpoints, you know? No, it's fine. I just hate you now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. This is over. Wow. Last episode. Episode 16. <laughs> last episode. Pleasantville. Series finale. Ple- yeah, yeah, yeah. Covering the movie Pleasantville with an unpleasant ending. <laughs> ending. <laughs> no. Yeah. I did want to just kind of go in off of that because George just changed. Like, well, okay. Here's here's the here's a huge like perplexing thing for me. I don't understand the last shot or scene or whatever of the film. I don't understand what the message is with that. And in case you don't remember or whatever, Betty's sitting on a bench with George. She's like, oh, what are we going to do now? And then George says, I have no idea. They laugh about it. The camera pans over to Betty. And then it pans over to the other side of the bench where George was. But now it's Mr. Johnson. And Mr. Johnson's like, I have no idea either. Or something like that. What Do you understand what that means? I don't understand what the what the message was with him changing into Mr. Johnson. Yeah. To me, and that's, I kind of had the same question too, but to me, the message that it's getting across is life can be anything you want it to be. Mm. And we are given an ending that has two, we don't know which ending is the true ending. We don't know if she ends with George. We don't know if she ends up with Bill. We don't know if she ends up with both of them. We don't know if she ends up with neither of them. Why are we supposed to care? I don't, that's what I don't get. I don't really care who she ends up with. I don't think it's, I don't think it's about who she ends up with. I think it's a representation of the idea that life is not black and white. There is not one correct way to do life. And if she made the decision to stay with George, if she made the decision to go off with Bill, neither of those are objectively right or wrong. Mm. There is no there is no longer this dichotomy, this binary of right and wrong, black and white, good and bad. Like life is messy. Life is colorful. Life is nuanced. And there's so many different ways that you can live your life. Yeah. And I think that we're supposed to be left with this sense of, wait, what happened? Who is she with? Because we're not supposed to know because at the end of the day, it's her choice and who knows, but she can live her life however she wants. I think that's, it's more of an embodiment of that idea. Okay. I just thought it was a weird way to show it because it it also kind of poses as like a, a choice between the two men as well, which it doesn't sound like that's really the point of it at all, but I just don't, I don't know. I just thought it was, I mean, I don't really know how else you would show that idea, but I don't know that th- that threw me off. I'm like, I don't really know. I don't really understand this <laughs> because, like, it's it's shown between. She's not really that. Oh, I guess she's a main character. The whole idea and theme of changing and and finding yourself or whatever is mainly presented through her, I guess. So maybe it does yeah. make sense for her to be the final shot. I just thought it was weird. I thought it was interesting. I think too because it happens on a bus bench, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, I thought she was, they were going somewhere. Yeah, a bus bench to me is very symbolic of transition and waiting and change and movement. Mm. Like the, the moment before movement. So I just think that that whole scene is very symbolic of life is always changing. Yeah. Life can be whatever you want it to be. Life is sort of up in the air. There's no right or wrong. You can go wherever you want. And that to me is sort of, it's more about that than it is about who did she end up with. Yeah. Or maybe it also shows that all three of them are just going to be in a non-monogamous or whatever. Maybe they're a thruple. They're a th- oh, oh boy. Potentially. I don't think so, though, because why would George get up? And they're like, hey, here, take this seat now. <laughs> <laughs> maybe they did a fusion ha and became one person. <laughs> you could just change. Change on a dime to Mr. Johnson. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I was just really confused by that last shot. So I guess that makes sense. I get that. Yeah, I think that just shows how life can be whatever you want it to be. Hey, how do you think how do you think the real mom in real life reacts when she realizes that Jennifer's still not home? <laughs> oh, when she's like, "Where's your sister at?" 6 weeks later. Yeah, exactly. She just stays at Pleasantville. I'm going to try this college thing or whatever she says. Like, I don't stay a chance at home, and she just decides to stay in that I guess world, that fake world. And the mom just doesn't have a daughter anymore. <laughs> Maybe David just gaslights his mom. I've never been a twin. What are you talking oh about? Gosh. Jennifer who? <laughs> oh, man. I can't even imagine. And he's just totally chill with it. That makes no sense. That's that's a huge, like, you got to suspend your disbelief on that one. <laughs> yeah, because I'm like, why is she going to college in the Pleasantville yeah. world? Why not just go? Yeah, it's just Because she made weird. it sound like there's no way that she, like, her grades aren't there. So there's no way. Also, like, what college is she going to go to? Like, what is the world outside of Pleasantville? Is it just America? But, yeah. like, she's going to go to, like, Harvard or Yale. Like, it's weird. Maybe it'll be, like, the Weeping Angels in Doctor Who where she's, like, just flashed back 30 years. And so David, young teenage <laughs> David, will meet her, like, 30 years in the future. She's, like, 40 and he's 16 or whatever yeah, yeah. in the 80s. We need a second film. Yeah. Unpleasantville. Unpleasantville. Oh, my gosh. I can't even imagine. Yeah. No, that doesn't make any sense. Tommy McGuire is looking like an 80-year-old man right now. <laughs> He's not hot. Yeah, not anymore. Oh, yeah, I wrote this down. I wrote this down. Toby needed a dedicated lip wiper because his his lips are so glossy this entire film. Holy smokes. That's funny. Did you do any research about the author that Jennifer starts reading? No. So the author is D.H. Lawrence, which, I mean, in Ex Machina, we talked about how, like, directors or whatever will put pieces of art or things in the background to sort of symbolize the overarching theme, you know? Yeah. So when she mentioned that, my little, like, English nerd flag went off, and I was like, I wonder who D.H. Lawrence is. So I Googled D.H. Lawrence, and it says, his work... His works reflect on modernity, industrialization, sexuality, emotional health, vitality, spontaneity, and instinct. His best-known novels were the subject of censorship trials. Hmm. Uh, so I, it's interesting because I think it's very in line with this whole idea of censorship and this idea of, you know, what is sexuality? What does it mean to be spontaneous, to follow your instinct, to be human? So I just kind of like that little Easter egg that we get. Yeah, that's nice. There was a specific, I don't, I didn't write down word for word, but just kind of the general idea. But David starts talking about Huckleberry Finn and summarizing kind of the story or whatever, I think, so that they can fill in the pages. Mm-hmm. And he says, 
or maybe they read something. I don't remember exactly what happens in the film, but he says something to the effect of like, while trying to become free, they realize they realize they already were free. I'm like, oh, that's cool. It's a nice yeah. little, nice little anecdote, or or not anecdote, but a nice mm-hmm. little idea to to pose in there. Yeah, I also liked that. There's that scene when Margaret and David are at Lover's Lane, yeah. and she gives him an apple. Oh yeah. Which is like very symbolic of the Garden of Eden as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like, oh, you know, try this apple. Yeah. So I just, I really like all the little imagery that we get here of this idea of like gaining knowledge and entering a world that's more complex than, you know, black and white and this sort of loss of innocence in a sense. Skip sees the, the red flower. She took his flower. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. I also really like too that when you first are introduced to Lover's Lane. Yeah. It, it sort of like turns into a hookup, hookup, make out sex spot yeah, yeah. for the for the kids for a long time. And then in the second half of the movie, we see Lover's Lane again and all the all the high school students are like reading books yeah. together. Um, I really like that, that you see this sort of transition between like what they're going there for, because there's a scene, I think, where Big Bob's like going to Lover's Lane is one thing, but checking out books in the library now, yeah, like right. he's he's very much associating these two ideas together. And then we see that happening where the kids are just learning about themselves. They're learning about the world right. and it's exciting for them and it's new and it's fun in a sense. Yeah, and yeah. I, I really like that juxtaposition of those two ideas. Yeah. I, <laughs> I don't understand how you have sex right next to another car with convertibles that are down that's fine <laughs> that is way too much stress over there that's crazy <laughs> too much stress tr- yeah <laughs> am i doing it right one of the other i mean kind of just talking about little moments in the film that i thought were kind of fun or good there's that scene when george goes to talk to the other men at the bowling alley and you have a really weird shot of big bob where it's kind of underneath him and you're seeing the scoreboard behind him of the bowling scores i'm sure you noticed this but his score is perfect across the board yeah and then everyone else's they you know don't have points every now and then i think it gets back to that idea that you were saying that big bob is sort of in charge and he's got all the power and he he relishes this perfect world because to him he has all the power all of the control all of the prestige and stuff i just thought that that was an interesting representation of that yeah super cool i have another dumb question do you think people watching the rerun reruns of pleasantville were like whoa what's going on with these episodes (laughs) (laughs) i don't remember this yeah i don't i don't remember i thought this whole show was in black and white this is getting weird it's from the vault it's from the what 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 do you mean like the episodes you know they released from the vault oh, oh yeah i've ever seen disney? before yeah 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 the disney vault one thing i i thought was interesting and i think i can't remember when you see this last but you i think it's the part when whitey and his friends are like driving around and inviting people to the town hall or just being their troublesome selves mm-hmm. And like Lover's Lane, they have all the color, there's the flowers, there's the trees or whatever, but the suburbs are still black and white. Even when a lot of the town is colored still, the like the neighborhoods specifically, like Main Street has color, Lover's Lane has color, but the suburbs, the homes of the people have black and white. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Because I feel like there's, like it's got to be everyone that's like in agreement on it or everyone's like open to change, I guess. I don't know. That's the way that I thought about it because... Like there's still in a lot of the homes, there's probably still at least one person who is opposed to this change. And so it's still not going to quite full, fully colorize. That's what I think anyway. 
I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I don't know. I was just kind of thinking because I just noticed that that contrast because that's like one of the final filming locations where things are are black and white still. Yeah. To me, it's it, it kind of calls back to me about the traditional idea that like the man is the house, the head of the house mm. and almost none of the fathers, if any of them want things to change. And so because of that, they're the society is subscribing to this idea of like men leading the household. And so that's kind of why yeah. also I could go into a whole rant about how suburbs are really problematic in their own way and, you know, very whatever. But I like the simpler idea that it's just because the men who, you know, are the traditional head of the households yeah. here. Well, because they make a big deal at the very end of the film, too, after the court case. Like, that, the one kid's like, hey, guys, look at this, and then opens the door, and then everything's colorized, and it's like, oh, great. Yeah. That's not what you're talking about, right? You were talking about before that. No, 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 yeah, no, yeah. no, before that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before the big change. It's yeah. like everyone everyone was finally on board, even, even or not on board, but even the mayor found his color or whatever, and uh, which is just a mean guy. He's a mean guy. Yeah. Yeah, his color was being a jerk. <laughs> yeah. What an identity. Yeah, I, I think, too... <laughs> one of the reasons that I identify with this film a lot is like my own religious trauma mm. <laughs> and like coming from a world where I was taught very much that things are black and white. Yeah. And one thing I thought was interesting, like if you look at George and Betty's relationship, when they are living in a black and white world, they're like the happy family, right? Yeah. They have the two kids, the pick, white picket fence, blah, 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 blah. Color is introduced into the world, and then suddenly their relationship becomes very rocky and a lot more difficult to navigate. Yeah. And then by the time you reach the end of the movie, you don't know if George and Betty are together. You don't really know what's happened to their relationship. And I think that a lot of people who are in the black and white world would see that and they would see see, see how dangerous it is to, you know, become colorized, to live in a world of color. It ruined this perfectly happy couples relationship. They were sure. happy before color. And now that there's color, they're separated and they're, you know, their marriage is destroyed. But I, th I like the nuance that we get here of like, they weren't happy necessarily in that black and white. I mean, they were, but it wasn't that the color made her unhappy. It was that the color made her realize how unfulfilled she was in the black and white world that she was living in right so it's not that becoming colorized was the problem the problem has always been the black and white world she was living in the colorization just helped her realize that it was a problem and some people would say i don't want to be colorized and i don't want to see the problem and some people would say you know what i want to live my fullest life and if that involves you know living in a colorized world without whoever it may be then so be it but i just really like that that idea you get that some people could see the color as a bad thing and it ruining relationships. And some people could see the color as a good thing and it enhancing and strengthening healthy relationships. So you think it's a terrible thing for people to choose no color? No, I think that people can choose whatever they want to choose. At the end of the day, people can live how they want to live. I just don't think it is fair for people who choose a black and white life to point at people who like George and Betty, you know, in this sense, whose relationship may have ended to point it and say, look, these people got a divorce mm. or are separated. Therefore, being living in color is a bad thing. Right. Because, you know, coming from like a religious background, religious trauma, there are many things in my own life that when I was living a very black and white religious life, I 
was like quote unquote happy. And then when I realized that there is like more to life and life is more complex than just black and white, there are some, you know, difficulties or changes that I've gone through, but that doesn't mean that going through those changes was a bad thing. Right. But people who have that black and white mentality will see it as a bad thing because they're trying to justify holding on to that black and white. And again, if you want to live the black and white life, go for it. But it's, I don't think it's fair to judge it. And you see that too, because I think George asks David, like, what went wrong? And then David's like, nothing went wrong. People just change. Right, right, right. Yeah. People change, which is interesting because he's the one that absolutely hates change. And that's why he watches Plinsen Mill from the get-go. That actually, that made me think of like a, um, there's this guy on TikTok that I see every once in a while where he's like this big entrepreneur or something. I don't even know who this guy is, but like he's some entrepreneur or something like that. And he was able to retire when he was 40 and he goes around and tells people who are living just like kind of whatever jobs that they could figure out ways to also retire early and and live the life that they always wanted. And that's like his whole goal is to try to teach people how they can accomplish that. And he goes, I just saw a video, like all of them always turn out the way that he wanted to like, Oh, I'll help, you know, I'll help you figure this out and all that stuff. And it goes the way that he wants. But there's one the other day, he goes up to this guy who's just holding a sign for a company. And he's like this old guy. He's like, not old, but like probably his fifties or sixties. And he asked him like, oh, like, why are you holding the sign? It's like, I don't know. Like for this company, I like holding the sign. And, and then the guy's like, yeah, but you don't have to hold that sign. I retired when I was 40 and you can retire like in the next 10 years if you do whatever. He's like, well, why would I want to do that? I like holding the sign. And it was just funny because I've seen so many videos where he's like, you know, getting these people excited about a new life and, you know, their future careers or whatever, you know, and this guy's like, nah, dude, I'm I'm good. (laughs) I'm good. And then he t- he tells him to just like yeah you go you good luck with that see like he like the guy holding the sign is fed up at this point you could tell he's like good yeah. luck with that dude like have fun see you later and then the video ends and so because I think you were you were saying this as well um, I've rambled enough though that I don't remember exactly but you like there there's like the opposite end of the spectrum as well because there's plenty of people that see black and white people and they're like oh we need to help them. We need to get them out of this black and white thing. And when they interact with those people, they have and they have a hard time convincing them to be colorized, you know, in a sense, they get frustrated and they get flustered and they think that they're a problem. They're the problem with the society and all that stuff. But I would I would urge people to at least do their due diligence to make sure that they're not actually forcing others to live that way. Because if they actually like living that way, that's totally like you said, that's totally okay. Yeah, as long as you're not harming others. Exactly. As long as you're not. And that's the problem. Like, I don't disagree with the black and white Pleasantville. I think it would be nice sometimes. And I think that there's people that live perfectly pleasant lives and that's all they truly want. And that's totally okay. That's fine. What is the issue, I think, of the film is that there's people that are forcing the entire community to live that way and vandalizing those that go against the grain um, and like the, the soda shop and burning books and whatever, you know, I don't remember everything else that happens in the film. Forcing women to be housewives. Forcing them to be housewives, tell them to cook your dinner. And I think that it's like there there are family units that are like that and they're perfectly happy living that life. So it's okay to let them live that life and not quote unquote change mm-hmm. if they're if they're truly content doing that. And then in the inverse, you know, like you were talking about. Like you can't force everyone to live that way as well. So it's like 
You know what I mean? It's like colorized people don't have to force black and white people to live colorized and vice versa. Black and white people don't have to force yeah. colorized people to live black and white. Yeah, I, I agree with you that people should be able to live their lives how they want. My my main issue with the black and white world, and you sort of touched on this, is that in order to sustain much of the black and white world, it requires systems of oppression that people don't inherently agree to because the black and white world or you know the black and white george and betty relationship requires that betty be a stay-at-home wife even though that's not maybe what she wants to do it requires george to have to go to work at nine to five every day and he doesn't even know if that's what he wants you know so that's like the the main issue that I kind of have with the black and white world is that, yeah, cool. You can live a black and white world, but like you said, you need to live it in a way that doesn't force other people to live that way. And you also need to live it in a way that inherently challenges any of the systems of oppression that the black and white world is built upon. Does that make sense? I'm I'm specifically, I understand that I'm specifically speaking to like, if the entire family unit's like, yes, I would like to be the stay at home mom who cooks. Okay. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about like, like just know, like if you're a quote unquote, a colorized person and you're, and you see what you perceive to just be a general black and white family unit or whatever, and you think that you need to liberate them, you just, you need to be accepting that maybe they've all chosen that and that's just what they want to do. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I also just think like, I mean, it really depends on the context, but you also need to make sure that... That you're checking in with each other as well. Sorry, maybe you're on a different point, but like it doesn't always stay that way as well. So yeah, no, I think that's definitely important to check in with people. But I just think that there are people in the black and white world that would say, "I want to live the black and white world," but it's because they don't understand the not black and white world because mm. they are forced into a specific role that doesn't allow them to freely explore that like you see that with betty at the beginning where bill is allowed to explore the black and white world without any external social pressure he sees colors and it's exciting difference is exciting to him but for betty she is in a system where she has an uphill battle if she wants to explore the colorized world and so i I get what you're saying like i think you should let people live that way but it's also very difficult when you have systems of oppression that don't allow people to fully explore those paths without some sort of negative consequence for not for being curious if that makes sense yeah yeah, yeah. it's just it's complex i mean and that's the whole point of this movie is life is yeah. complex yeah i will also say that i think it's possible to be black and white with the opposite of the family unit of or like the traditional 50s sitcom family unit of the mom staying home i think it's possible to be black and white with the dad staying at home and fixing dinner and and cleaning up the house and all that stuff because that's still someone basically just choosing the entire role of staying at home and the other Mm -hmm. person being the breadwinner or whatever i think it's yeah it's still technically black and white in my opinion yeah i don't know because like to me this movie presents black and white the theme black and white like the the color scheme is black and white as inherently oppressive because even at the end if george and betty end up together they are at least colorized they they've made that conscious decision they have all the information and they make that conscious decision to be together but they're not black and white anymore even though they're living the exact same life they're colorized so i would say in a sense 
black and white regardless I'm talking specifically in the context of this movie. Yeah. Like the black and white color theme is oppressive. Even if people, because people can be colorized and choose to live the same exact lives they were living in the black and white world, but you need to be colorized because the black and white is the system of oppression that exists in the society. Yeah, sure. Sorry. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I wasn't really talking in the context of the movie anymore. I was just using a general yeah, you're term. You're saying like, if, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think if you get to like in the real world, if you have, you know, the traditional husband and wife and the wife's like, I want to stay home. The husband's like, I want to work like, cool, you do that. But I would hope that the couple has had a conversation yeah. and the wife wants to do that because that's really what she wants to do. And not because she feels pressured in any way from her husband, from a religion, from a political viewpoint, whatever it may be to to be that thing. Yes. You know, I think that that's like you said, the conversation is important. Yeah, communication. One thing I I wanted to mention too um, is this idea of like civility politics in this movie that we see towards the end. Mm. And we see it when Big Bob implements a new set of rules. Right. That's the first place we see it. And if I'm not mistaken, it's like rule number one, you can't do damage to people's property. Rule number two, you need to be nice. And these are rules that pretty much everyone can agree with. Like those are general principles that everyone should live by. Those are, you know, that's living in a civil society. Yeah. But then the rules turn into you can't use new colors. You can't go to like Lover's Lane. You can't. I don't remember the specific rules. Listen to a specific type of music. Yeah. After a certain amount of time or whatever. And so I, I really like how the movie shows how this idea of like civility politics of like, hey, we just all need to be nice to each other is often weaponized to enforce systems of oppression. Mm. Because in the movie, the colorized people aren't doing anything wrong. They're living their lives the way that they want to live them. It's the people in black and white that are being violent and that are being mean and being rude. And then these rules come out and pretty much all those rules do is punish people for living in their colorized lives. And we see that a lot in society where people are like, you know, oh, we should all just be nice to each other and we, you know, shouldn't say mean things or we shouldn't destroy property, but then they won't acknowledge the systems of oppression like police brutality against people of color or the for-profit prison systems that inherently keeps black, brown, indigenous, and poor people in prison. Like people want to live this quote unquote civilized life, but they refuse to acknowledge all of the systems in place that inherently target people who aren't like them. And mm. I really like that, that the way that that's done in this. And we see it again, too, um, in the court proceedings where David starts talking and someone's like, hey, let's keep these proceedings as pleasant as possible. Yeah, Pleasant in that sense is being weaponized against David because pleasant really means under control, yeah. like do things my way, the, the, the status quo way. And so I think it's really important to call that theme out in this movie about how sort of this idea of pleasantness and being nice and being civil isn't used to actually maintain a healthy, happy society. It's used to oppress people. Um, And I think it's really easy to get lost in that and just think like, oh, all we need to do to live a good life is be nice. But no, you can't just be nice. You have to challenge systems in place that are problematic and that do damage to other people. Yeah, That's why I'm just not nice to anybody. Just There you go. Yeah. Now everyone knows hey, that I hate them. It's cool if you're not nice as long as you let people live their lives. I'm fine with that. 
be a little curmudgeon. Yeah. But let people live how they want. That's cool. Yeah. I, I actually, I usually walk down the street and I just, I chew a piece of gum and then I throw it underneath someone's shoe in hopes that they step on it. I support that. <laughs> Good stuff. All right. Do you have any other, I, I'm, I'm out of my notes. Do you have anything else that you wanted to discuss? Um, let me look. You can play some hold music here if you want again. <laughs> okay. Um, one, I, one thing I like about this movie is that you just get a lot of kind of subtle detail yeah. that really helps paint the picture without being too in your face. So one of the, the scenes that I really like is when I can't remember his name, but it's, it's the guy that's into Jennifer. I don't remember his name, like skip or skip, something. Yeah. And he's like, Hey, I want to pin you. I want to, you know, give you, give you my pin. Yeah. That to me is very symbolic of sort of this traditional role of someone being sort of oppressive over another person, having control of them in a sense. Cause then you see later down the road that skip is kind of controlling and aggressive towards Jennifer when she doesn't do what he wants. And then you get that same symbolism when big Bob pins George he gives George the pin, yeah. but it's a symbol of manipulation and it's a symbol of oppression, I guess, in a sense. I just, I really liked that like through line in the, in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. And then she's like, I don't know. I want to pin you. Yeah. Yeah. Like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> love, pretty funny. Yeah. I love the look on his face where it just like goes like, oh. <laughs> yeah. He finally puts it together. And then one other scene I wanted to talk about, and I think it's such a tender scene in this movie. Yeah. It's when Betty's at the kitchen sink and she's crying because she's become colorized and she's really nervous and scared about what that means for her life. And David, who up until this point has very much been against people being colorized and is very much, you know, maintain the status quo. David is just really sweet with her and he's really kind and understanding. He's not upset that she's changing. He's not upset that she's colorized. He really sees that she's suffering and that she's scared. And instead of reacting negatively to that, he sees her in that pain and he holds space for for that fear and that concern. And then he offers to help. And he's like, hey, let's get your makeup. Like, we can do this. He helps sort of fix the problem. And to me, that's like such a tender moment. And it's also really important for David's character arc because you see him in that moment realize like, hey, this black and white world might not be for everyone. And in fact, this black and white world might actually be doing more harm than good, even though it looks like it's good on the surface. Like, it's making... This mother, who I love, I mean, he kind of pretends that she's his pseudo mom in even at the beginning before he gets sucked into the movie right. or the TV show. I just really like that you see that change with him and that that tenderness yeah. with with Betty. Yeah, it, that was a tender moment. It's it's interesting though that it's kind of clouded in the idea that he's trying to cover up who she actually is <laughs> in reality. Like that's really what's happening. It's like, Oh, don't show your true colors. Like literally. Yeah. But I think that it goes back to what you were saying where Betty in that moment, she wanted to be black and white. Oh yeah. She had, she was, she had ex been exposed to being colorized and she wanted to be black and white. And even though maybe David might not have agreed with it fully. He saw that, that that's what she wanted. And he sees her as an autonomous human being right. who can 
you know, deserves to have what she wants. And he's so tender. And I, I just really like that, that you see that with him. That's true, because he's not trying to convince her to stay. Yeah. Because he does say that you're, you're beautiful the way you are, right? I think that's yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, something, something like that. But, And I think that that's really a turning point for David when he realizes, like, hey, this this color isn't bad. And I, yeah. I, I don't want to feed into a system where my mom has to feel bad about being who she is. And so I just, I really like that scene. And that really comes to a head later when the rain is pouring down, everyone falls asleep under the gazebo or whatever, and everyone wakes up and everyone's colorized except for him. And you could see him looking into the lake like, why am I not colorized? Yeah. What's going on? Yeah. It's interesting. Oh, David. I don't know if this is important, but why do you think they started the movie off with Once Upon a Time? Because Once Upon a Time always means like a fairy tale, which Pleasantville basically is a fairy tale. I don't know. I, I have no yeah. idea. <laughs> That's the best I can come up it with just on seemed, the spot. Yeah. <laughs> How dare you? Yeah, well, give me some time. Jeez. Yeah. No, I, I think that's kind of what I was thinking too. It's it's definitely playing with this idea of fairy tales and like things being not as simple as we like them, we would want them to be. It's also true because actually, I guess in a way, like a lot of fairy tales start with problems and then they end up, you know, becoming the happily ever after. Yeah. And so, like, I mean, the movie does start with problems. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I did want to say I like the old man. I liked his performance. It was really cute. Yeah. And just, like, classic. I loved it. Yeah, his voice, too, is, like, his voice is very, I don't know, it matches really well. Yeah, yeah. I can't, what else is that guy? He's been a lot of things from, you know, like the 70s, probably. I can't I can't think of maybe MASH. I don't know. I don't remember. He's in the Andy Griffith Show, mm. Three's Company, mm. The Ghost, and Mr. Chicken. Yeah, that I don't know that one, but the other two, yeah. Matlock, sure. Yeah, I, don't know. I just remember he just looked a lot older, but I remembered the voice. I'm like, oh, like yeah, his voice is really like iconic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very cute. Love that old man. He he threw me off for a little bit. I'm like, oh, is he a bad guy? <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> well, what did you think about the art on the van? Oh, I was gonna make a note to go relook at that because I thought that they're because they do show it quite a bit. I don't remember. I don't remember what it was though. It says we'll fix you for good, and then it has like a family staring at a TV, but their eyes are all blacked out. Oh, I didn't notice that. I'm pretty sure it's kind of creepy looking. Yeah, that is creepy looking. Fixed. Yeah, Ugh, I don't even know. Yeah, I don't. I yeah. What What do you think that that? I mean, like, fix you for good. Like, if you're just having your eyes glued to the TV, you get to you're fixed for good. You don't have to acknowledge the chaos around you. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I think it how you interpret it depends on if you think the TV repairman's a good guy or a bad guy. I think. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Because we'll fix you for good is very ambiguous, right? Like, we'll fix you forever. You know, yeah. or we'll fix you so that you're good. I mean, maybe it's meant to be kind of ironic. I have no idea. You're supposed to bring all the heavy hitting ideas here. I'm just here for <laughs> the punchlines. Hey, I'm the one that actually celebrates Thanksgiving, so I don't have time to come up with the heavy hitting. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I didn't really think about that. I I will also say I'm not a fan of the like the angled shots. You know what I mean? Where they're trying to make it look unpleasant. Obviously, that mm-hmm. was the point. Because it's Pleasantville, and so they're trying to, like, when there's an unpleasant thing going on, they move the camera at, like, this weird diagonal. They, like, tilt it. Yeah, tilt it. Yeah, yeah, tilt. That's a better word, which is usually used in, like, horror films and stuff like that when something's, like, not right. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought, like, I understand. I just don't like those shots 
but I understand what they were going for. So I guess good on them. Yeah, I don't know. I get that. Yeah, I don't have anything else though. All right, cool. Well, that was. I'm excited to hear what our movie is for the new year. Honestly, I'm still not even. I I have it picked out, but I'm not sold on it. But I think we're just gonna do it anyway. Because I couldn't, okay. I couldn't think of anything else. But yeah, okay, that's Pleasantville. Uh, remember, at the time that we're recording this, you could watch it on Hulu for uh, free if you have Hulu. Not for free, whatever. If you have Hulu, you can stream it on there. And of course, if you listen to the whole episode without having watched the film, uh, I don't know why you're doing that. You need to stop doing that because we spoiled the whole movie right from the get-go. Why don't we go into our new ending segment? Oh, yeah, yeah, I forgot about this. Layers of favorites. We have theme music for this, right? I'm going to. I didn't do it last time because uh, I was already recording for like... One I, star. I Well, I said at the end of last episode that I would probably do it for the next episode and not for this one. Okay, if you don't have music for, for this episode, just do something like with your mouth. Just be like, ba-da-ba-ba-da-ba. Fine, all right. <laughs> Sounds good. I wanted to do something that sounded related to our actual theme, but we'll see what happens. I don't know. <laughs> Layers of favorites, new segment. Basically, the idea is just posing 10 this or that questions to Big T to see what he would prefer out of all 10 uh, options or all 20 options, I suppose. Big T, you ready? I was born ready. Nice. All right. Number one, real life or Pleasantville? Real life. Two, skip breakfast or have a Pleasantville breakfast? Skip. Uh, have a Pleasantville breakfast. It's a huge breakfast, dude. <laughs> that was delicious Love looking. me some food. Even if black and white, it looked delicious. Holy smokes. All right. Three, regular remote or magic remote? Magic remote. Okay, great. Four, Reese with her spoon or Reese without her spoon? <laughs> Reese with her spoon. Nice. Five. <laughs> You probably won't remember the names, but five, Mark or Skip? Mark was the guy at the very beginning of the film that Reese was, or Jennifer was Oof. trying to get with. Pass. On both? You don't care? <laughs> Either no, way. no, no. I don't need more toxic masculinity in my life. You don't think Skip becomes a good, he gains Without color. further evidence, I will not engage with Skip. All right. I liked his character for a while. Also, Paul Walker. I didn't, I wasn't expecting his character, or him to show up in this movie at all. So that was like a nice, that was a pleasant surprise. Pun intended. Number six, the soda shop or lover's lane? Soda shop. Nice. Seven. Wait, hold on. Let's, I'm going to change number seven because I don't even like it anyway. Soda shop before colorization or soda shop after? Like when it's broken down and stuff? (laughs) No, well, when he basically closes down, it does the paintings and doesn't do anything. Oh, before I want a good cheeseburger. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Eight, structure or change? Change. Nine. Pleasantville court scene or To Kill a Mockingbird court scene? <laughs> I don't remember the To Kill a Mockingbird no court way. scene. No way. You even have that movie on your list. What? I know I do. I know. Oh. Uh, it's been a while. I would choose To Kill a Mockingbird. That court scene's like the best part of the whole book and film. Holy smokes. I I was not I was not into the Pleasantville. Yeah, that's true. The Pleasantville one was pretty cheesy. Yeah, it was lame. I, I didn't really like it. Yeah, it's very formulaic. Yeah, and it had like really cheesy music too. It's just like, oh, we won, even though there was no lawyer, like nothing was real here. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> All right. Ten. Uh, ten. George or Mr. Johnson? The social shop. Uh, Mr. Mr. Johnson. I don't like him. I'm not going to lie. Like, I understand why you would choose Mr. Johnson over George, because he was quicker to color and all that stuff. And he- Nope. The reason I choose Mr. Johnson is because he knows how to make a cheeseburger. <laughs> George can't cook for himself. 
That's a very good point. He just seems really creepy to me a lot of the time, to be honest. He just kind of stares yeah, he's off. He's got kind of dead eyes. Yeah, he's very blank. Like, I don't know. Like, the, I like, like, at the end of the film, George, the way that he says, I don't know. I like, like, he's excited for what's coming up next, it seems like. Yeah. But Mr. Johnson's like, I don't know. It's like, oh, I don't think you're going anywhere, bro. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I just chose him because he can make me a cheeseburger, and I'm really hungry right now. That's a good point. That's a very good point. All right. Well, that concludes this month's Layers of Favorites. Hey, if you want to play the game at home, what what, what did you choose? I don't know. <laughs> I, what did I choose? I gave you some of my choices. Whatever. Anyway, okay, that's the end of the episode. Sweet deal. The next film, Big T, are you ready to hear what it is? I was born ready. You said that already, I think. <laughs> All right. Well, heading into the Call new the callback, year. Austin. Oh, good job. Heading into the new year, of course, you're making goals. And what's better than having the goal of escaping prison? We're covering the Shawshank Redemption for hey. the next film. Have you ever seen this film? I have not. I've seen so many bits and pieces, but I've never seen it all the way through. And who... Growing up with TNT or whatever it was, hasn't seen bits and pieces because they show this movie. They showed this movie all the time when I was a kid. Holy smokes! And I've never seen it like in its actual form instead of just like the made for or the TV edited version. I was just talking about Shawshank Redemption with my wife, so I'm excited to watch. Oh, it. Oh, nice! Yeah, I'm excited. It's. I mean, we can't do a film podcast without covering the the greatest reviewed movie of or like critically reviewed movie of all time i'm pretty sure it's number one on imdb so we got to cover it's this number two it comes rep, it comes right after finding dory get out of here get out <laughs> that's of also here. a callback oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> i've totally forgot that it. was a callback within a callback oh my gosh yeah um a sigourney the weaver's best best role most critically acclaimed role <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right, cool. Yeah, rated R. Uh, check the IMDb uh, parents guide to make sure that you know what's coming up and you're not thrown off by anything. It's streaming currently on HBO Max. If you have that, there you go. And this episode will go up January 2nd, 2023. So happy new year. Happy new year. Get ready. Hope you had a great Christmas if you celebrate that or Kwanzaa or Hanukkah, Hanukkah or just nothing. I don't know. I don't Festivus. The Festivus. Nice. Have a happy holiday season. Heck yeah. And uh, make sure to go to Trader Joe's for all that holiday stuff. That's true. They're they're best known for their fall stuff, but you can get some good holiday stuff too. Hey, a lot of these holidays are still in the fall, you know? Of course, as we said at the top, you can rate and review the show to help with discoverability over on wherever you listen to your podcasts. Right into the show, layersoffilmpod at gmail.com. If you have any comments, if you want to be a part of the episode... Or if you want to play along with Layers of Favorites, give us your answers over there. That would be fun. And we love you. We care about you. Hope you have a great time and that you find your color. <laughs> Whatever. I don't know. <laughs> have a pleasant evening or day or morning. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.